What's up, everybody? I am delighted that you are connecting with us today. And listen, right now, I want you to press the share button if you're watching us on Facebook or share the link to our website if you're watching by way of the website or the app. I want to get the word out far and wide. This is the last week of my teaching about how God wants to build an unshakableness into our lives. And listen, if there ever was a time that we need that, it's now. Here in America, we're two days away from a national election that is high anxiety provoking. Add to that more COVID, more hurricane, more fires. We are rushing into an uncertain future. But if you know what I know, you can have an unshakable life. Now, listen, the first thing we need to do, particularly as we think about the elections here in America, we need to approach it with prayer. Can somebody shout prayer? and participation. Can somebody shout participation? Type prayer and participation into the chat. And so the first thing we're going to do, I'm asking Pastor Dan Monroe, who's part of our team, I want him to pray, but not just for the country as we approach this election, but for Jesus followers. We are supposed to be the difference makers, makers in this horribly divided time. So Pastor Dan, would you pray for us? Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we are so grateful that you are our Father. You are our Heavenly Father. Lord, you uh, have so graciously reached down, touched each of us, Lord, with your grace, your love, your mercy. And Father, what we're asking is that you would continue to do that. Lord, as, uh, as you prayed for the church, that they would be one as you and the Father are one. Lord, we echo that prayer, that your church would be one, that we would not be divided over political differences, over social differences, different things that can come in between, but that we would remain united in the spirit, which is pleasing to you, Lord. So Father, we ask for that unity. We ask that you overcome our fears, our anxiousness, Lord, that you would bring a peace and a unity to your church. And Lord, also, you said that you would lead and guide us, which means there's movement, Lord. So I pray that you would lead and guide your people, that you would motivate them to do those things that bring forth your kingdom, that express your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we're so dependent on you right now. Lord, we need your help. We need your presence in each of our hearts, in each of our homes, in our cities, in our states, in our nation, in our world, Lord. We pray your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for leading us in that time of prayer. And listen, guys, I want to challenge you, not just over the course of the next couple of days, but over the course of the next several weeks. I want you to follow Pastor Dan's lead, how he modeled praying, not just for the country and certainly not just for the folk that you're voting for, but you should be praying uh, for Jesus followers that we will make and be the differences across all these different challenges that we're facing here. Now, in order to help you with your participation, on our website page, we've set up a section called Pray and Work for National Unity to empower Jesus followers and others in this work of, of trying to help move the country forward. And if you access 
that link, you're going to find that we've put some resources there, including some messages that I've taught on the subject of how to do this. But also you'll find something there called the First Principle Project. Several months ago, I was invited to be a part of a small group of about 10 of us uh, under the commissioning of the of three national organizations to create a uh, resource of, of messages and teachings that helps Jesus followers and pastors and churches all over the country, regardless whether they're Republican or Democrat or whatever their stripe might be, to figure out how to function in the public square, how to be faithful Jesus followers leading towards unity. And at the heart of that work is a media library and it has some of the best teaching on this subject from some of the best teachers in this country. Uh, Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley, Beth Moore, Rick Warren. They were even kind enough to include two of my messages. So access that resource and really keep learning about how to participate in a faithful way, in a way that makes Jesus proud of who you are. Lastly, however this election turns out, I want you to show back up here next weekend so that across our differences, we can claim the unity that we have in Jesus as I launch a brand new series called Serve Through Prayer, Love, and Giving. And we're going to launch our Be Rich to Others campaign. So make sure that you are here next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are sovereign above all elections and above all else. You have the last word. Now, empower this teaching moment. Bless those who are listening. Bless the one who's teaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Listen, this is the last week, as I said earlier, of my series on uh, unshakable. And uh, let's look at the psalmist as he continues to teach us in Psalms 62, the first couple of verses. Here's what he says. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. You see, God alone is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. And I shall not be, everybody say it with me, greatly shaken. And so as we're about to uh, launch head first into more uncertainty in the days to come. Here's the question that we're wrestling with. As we move towards an uncertain future, what do we need for an unshakable life? And, and, and here's what you know, that if you've been following us for the last couple of weeks, I've said that one of the things you need is a palm tree faith. And when I talk about a palm tree faith, I'm referring to the fact that God has structured palm trees so that in the most fierce hurricanes that they are able to bend but not break. Somebody type in the chat, bendable but not breakable. Come on, tell somebody if they're in the room with you, I want God to make me bendable. Shout, bendable. And if you've been following us, you know that the teaching in this insight was really this, that, that, that part of what makes us bendable as believers, is that our palm tree faith trusts not in what we can get God to do, but we trust in God's character. And that there's just some things that we know about God's character regardless of our circumstances, regardless of who wins the election, regardless of what political party is in power. Here's what we know about God, right? God is good, God is able, and God is for us. Regardless of whether we're contending with sickness or divorce, God is good, God is able, God is for us. We know that about God. Now, here's the other teaching when we think about the palm tree, that in the most fierce hurricanes, that palm tree may be bent over 
uh, under the might of those winds, six, seven hours. I call that the palm tree bendable season. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, the, 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 as we go through troubling times, uncertain moments, as we go through moments of suffering, we too have what I want to call bendable seasons, right? Last weekend, after each one of these uh, worship gatherings, we have something that we call a virtual social hall. And if you have not participated, I encourage you to do so. Uh, you can just sign up uh, and pop into a virtual social hall. Oftentimes, I'm there most of the time. We always have our team there. And we get to interact with people all over the country and all over the world who, who, who have engaged in this worship gathering. Answer your questions, minister to you, pray with you, all of that. Last weekend, we celebrated uh, uh, one of the ladies there. She had... She had she was celebrating her 27th year wedding anniversary. And um, she says, Pastor, when you talked about that bendable season uh, last year, uh, mine wasn't like seven hours or seven weeks. We, it extended over several years. And she was talking about her marriage as her and her husband had to work through some really difficult times to get to the place where they can now celebrate 27 years. So what is your bendable season? You know, uh, when the person that you love walks up to you and says it's over, that will start your bendable season. When, 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 a, when a kid that you're raising shadows your heart, that will start your bendable season. Here's how I talk about a bendable season. Uh, a, a bendable season is just another way of talking about my suffering season, right? My suffering season. So this, this is all about how do I navigate my bending season? How do I navigate my suffering season? So last week I told you there are three prayers that we need to learn to pray. Not only do we need to learn to pray, but each of these prayers offers some additional insight that actually constructs an unshakable faith through which we live our lives. So the first we talked about last week was this, uh, the prayer of declaration. And we find it right in the psalmist's words. Let's go back to verse uh, 62. This is what he says. He, God alone, is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be greatly shaken. When we read this, we read this as finished history, as we're reading backwards to an event that has already taken place. But when the psalmist is writing these words, he's under fierce attack. From a group of enemies, we don't know who they are. They're threatening his life. They're probably threatening, they're certainly threatening his livelihood. And some of you listening to me, you're on the fierce attack right now. Depression and despair and all kinds of stuff breaking loose in your life. And so the psalmist is in the middle of it. This is not like after it has passed, he's now writing this. He's in the middle of it. And in the middle of the, of the struggle, he declares what he knows about God. This psalm, this verse is all about, here's what I know about God. He's my rock. He's my salvation. He's my fortress. And because of who he is in my life, I shall not be greatly shaken. I can be bent, but only to a point never broken. That's what's meant by greatly shaken. He's declaring it. Listen, sometimes you got to speak to your soul. Sometimes you got to speak to your heart. Sometimes you got to speak to your mental faculties because life becomes so fierce and the challenges are so, uh, are so seemingly unending. You've got to remind you who is the God that you serve? How able is he? How much for you he is? 
You've got to declare what you know about God, that he's your rock, your fortress, the source of your salvation. The second prayer uh, that you've got to learn to pray that also offers some fundamental building blocks to an unshakable faith that makes it so that we can say in the midst of the most fierce challenge, I will not be greatly shaken. Is this the prayer for strength? Notice I've put here in parentheses, but if he does not. You see, after we declare what we know about God, there will still be times that God doesn't function the way that we want God to function. It's in those seasons that we will need some supernatural strength. Sometimes that strength comes through supernatural means, and sometimes the strength comes unexpectedly through the lives of other people naturally. All right, let me back into this point by talking just a few moments about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you were with me a few weeks ago, you know that these are three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3. And you know that they had risen to, power, to positions of power and impact in that Babylonian government. And they were, uh, they were demanded uh, upon by Nebuchadnezzar the king that they should forsake their faith and bow to an image that he had built. And so they looked him in the eye and they refused to do it. And so finally he came, when everybody else was doing it, he wouldn't do it, they wouldn't do it. And so finally he came to them and said, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow. And if you don't, I've got a fiery furnace. I'm going to heat it up seven times hotter. And I'm going to throw you in that fiery furnace. And, And their response is instructive when it comes to prayers of declaration and prayers for strength. And, 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 and where we get the strength from. Listen to what they say. Uh, when they respond to him, they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us. Somebody shout, is able. Come on, type in the chat, is able. This is their declaration about this is the God that we serve. This is who he is. And then they go on and they say, and he will deliver us from your majesty. Come on, everybody type, he will. So notice, first there is the declaration. This is, we, I'm declaring who God is. And then out of the declaration comes the statement of my expectation. I'm expecting that he will deliver. So, so the, 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 the chair of faith that we sit on that is unshakable has three legs. One leg is declaration about who he is. you got to remind yourself who he is as you go through difficult times. Another uh, leg is our stated expectation. We are expecting him to do great things, to move on our behalf. That's the second leg. But then there's the third leg that makes that chair totally unshakable. And here it comes here. Notice what they say. But, everybody shout, but, even if he does not we still will not bow, is what they're saying. But if he does not, there's the, there's the point. You know what they're saying here? He's able. We expect that he will. But if he does not, we have learned, here it is, to trust God even when we don't understand God. <laughs> That's the third leg that makes the chair of faith that you are sitting in, unshakable. Now, 
They didn't just flip a switch, wake up one day and say, I got this kind of faith. They, 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 they had walked with God. And some of you listening to me, you haven't walked with God. But today can be the first day of, your, of the rest of your life where you're walking into the future of uncertainty with an almighty God who especially we know in Jesus. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. Walk with God. They got here because they had walked with God. I'm going to tell you a little bit about their history. This is extremely important. They grew up in the city of Jerusalem in Judah. The country was the southern part of the, what was once the larger country of Israel. And they never could, they never imagined that one day that country would be overrun by the Babylonians. They, they, they never could have imagined that one day the walls of that great city of Jerusalem would be breached and shattered and torn down. They never would have imagined that the temple where they worshipped at week after week after a week would ultimately be destroyed, which was at that point seen as a symbol of God's presence with them. They lived through a suffering, suffering season that started with the unthinkable and the unimaginable. Some of us will live through some seasons in the future that will be the unthinkable and the unimaginable. And so in their suffering, check it out, there's some realities that they, they live through as they walk through it with God. Ultimately, they were exiled and pulled out of their homeland in the Babylon. But here's what we know that they knew. Even though they lost their country, they did not lose their citizenship in the kingdom of God, which meant that, that their citizenship in God's kingdom was not dependent upon a geographical demarcation nor a political identification. They lost the building in which they worshiped to the unthinkable. But even though the unthinkable took the building where they worship away from them and took them away from the land that they grew up in, the unthinkable and the unimaginable could not steal their worship. They still worship together as a Jewish community, even in a foreign land. Come on now. Here's his first insight about the supernatural source of power and strength in your life when you're going through a season of suffering, a bending season. Don't let anyone or anything take from you your worship. Not your worship. Come on now. Not your worship. Don't ever get so mad that you stop worshiping. Don't ever become so sad that you stop worshiping. If you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and, 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 and you're all by yourself and you're, you're filled with despair and depression, just pull out our app. For those of you who are listening, say, well, what is this worship you're talking about? Just pull out our app. Go to our media section. And, and I'm talking about what we sing at the beginning of these broadcasts, those amazing songs about God's power and God's love and God's reliability. We have them in the media section of our app and just tap. And as you allow worship to fill the room that you're in, it will change the atmosphere. As you allow worship, come on now, to penetrate your, your mental framework, it will change the context of your emotional disposition. Come on now, don't let anything steal your worship. Even if you don't have the power to mouth the words, just wave your hand at the truth of hearing who God is 
And here's a great byproduct of worshiping. Here it is. When you worship, when you sing those songs of praise, it takes those propositional truths that you have lodged in your thinking about God being all-powerful and all-knowing and always present, that God being good and able and for you, it takes them and it transforms them into a spiritual anchor in the interior of your soul, and they become lived experience. Don't let the unthinkable steal your worship. Wow. And so, when the king approached them and said, forsake your faith, give up your worship, and bow to this, this image that I've created, or I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace because of their history with God. It, basically, their declaration was this. That won't be our first fiery furnace. We've already been through a fiery furnace, the collapse of our city, the, the overtaking of our country, the, the collapse of our, our temple. And here's what we've learned. Come on now. The God that, I, that we serve saw us through all of that, brought us into Babylon. And in the middle of our deepest suffering moment, he elevated us to positions of power in your government, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. We are political officials. Come on now. Uh, we have impact. So here's what we know. That's not the first fiery furnace that you are threatening us with. It won't be our first and it won't be our last. But what's consistent about the God that we serve is that he is able. Come on now. And we're going to declare who he is and that we have great expectation that he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, and we know that there are times when he doesn't because he didn't keep the temple from being collapsed. He didn't save the city of Jerusalem. He didn't spare the country of Judah, but he preserved us through it all. So we declare right now that we will trust God even if he doesn't because we trust him even when we don't understand him. Those are the three legs to an unshakable faith that allows you to survive the unthinkable and the unimaginable and the unexpected. Do you have those three legs? And one inside of that is the source of strength that you're praying for. It comes through worship. Now, Jesus is the best example of trusting God. Listen to me now. Even when we don't understand, he models this. You know, Jesus, according to John, is the word made flesh. He's God who became human and moved into our neighborhood. That's the chapter, first chapter of John. You know, in, in Jesus, we saw all the supernatural power of God at work. We, we, we saw in Jesus God uh, feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of fish and a few, few loaves of bread and a few fish because God understood that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And Peter, who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, would later write to a suffering community, cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. 
This is Jesus who walked out on water to illustrate that he was the manifestation of an eternal God who had the last word over the elements. And yet we find him in Matthew chapter 26 in his garden of Gethsemane just a few hours before his greatest trial, his greatest suffering moment, crucifixion. And in this place in the Gethsemane garden, he teaches us something about where our strength comes from and how to pray for strength. Notice what he says. The text says, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's talking about his deep depression, his deep despair. You're not alone if you're feeling deep depression. You're not alone if you're feeling deep despair. He's talking about the darkness that's surrounding him, anticipating the suffering of the future. If you feel like you're surrounded by darkness, Jesus fully understands. He's declaring his, his internal state right now. My soul is full with grief to the point of death. And then he asks for some help. Watch it. He opens up. And then he asks for help. He says, stay here and keep watch. In other words, pray along with me. Pray along with me. Go back to this text. I want to show you a couple of things before I, before I make this point. This, 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 yeah, listen, to this point. listen to this text. He says, he told them. Who's the them? Peter, James, and John. These are the people he was the closest to. Who's your them? All of us need a them, right? Not just one or two, but oftentimes a group of people who can walk with us. A them. Let me, let me illustrate. Here's a, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a chest. Show this trunk here. Put the trunk up there for me. And, and I, I can imagine in this context, this trunk is full of all of Jesus' grief, all of his pain and all that stuff. And, and trying to carry it in that garden of Gethsemane, he could only pull it just a little bit. But then he decides to open up and be what Benet Brown called courageously vulnerable. And he says to them, here's what's going on in the inside. And he says, so Peter, would you get over there? And James, would you get over there? And John, would you get behind? And together they lift the trunk. And now, rather than just dragging it a little distance, he's able to go all the distance, all the way through the suffering season. Each of us carry a trunk like this. We need a them that we will open up. And be honest with. Go back to the verse. Notice what he says in the verse that that my soul is crushed with grief. He's being he's he's being transparent. This is what Benet Brown calls courageous transparency. So here's the insight, guys. Here's what I'm trying to say. If the Savior of the world has decided that the only way for him to get through his suffering season, the best way to get through it was for him to courageously open up and be transparent about his pain and his fear and his depression. Come on now. To his them. What about you? This is not a time for you to be artificially strong. This is a time for you to learn how to be weak to a point. What makes the the palm tree bendable is that it's weak to a point. So that others can help. Weak to the point that you're able to ask. Here we go back. Others for help. That's what he said. Would you pray along with me? Weak to the point that you're able, here's the last thing, that you ask God for help. And that's the supernatural stream. This is the God who says, in your weakest moment, my strength will be made known through you. I'm reminded that in Boston, 
a number of years ago when I was pastoring at Roxbury Press, one of my deacons lost her husband who died sitting in his chair at his desk at home. The unimaginable happened. And she called me over. I rushed over and after the paramedics did what they did to get his body prepared for her to see it one more time before they removed it. She said to me, she called me Rev. She said, Rev. She grabbed my elbow and she said, walk with me. I need to see him one more time. And every couple of steps, she would stop and say, Lord, help me. Every couple of steps, Lord, help me. Every couple of steps, Lord, help me. (laughs) And you know what? God gave her the strength that she didn't have. What she was saying is, I'm all out of strength. I can't wish it up. I can't positively think it up. I need an inexhaustible source of strength that is beyond me. Make it so that in my weakness, God, your strength will be known. And lastly, as we wrap this up, uh, there is, of course, the prayer Prayer for guidance. That's the third prayer. Let's go back to the verse. Here we see Jesus. It, it would look like upon first reflection, he's just trying to get out of tough times. But he's actually asking for guidance, guys. Here's what he says. He went on a little further and bowed on his face and he started praying. He said, look, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be removed, be taken away from me. Yet, not what I want. It's what you want. I, I, your will be done, not mine. Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. Look, I've got three and a half years of ministry. I've seen you do supernatural things. Father, I know you're able. I know you can. But the question is, does your providential plan require that in order for you to do what you need to do in the world that I walk through some suffering? And in the backdrop of the silence, the echo of silence, Jesus got the answer. Yes, this time the plan requires that you walk through from suffering. Now, here's a couple of points I want to make really quickly about, about suffering. Unshakable faith accepts that suffering is a part of the journey. Jesus is accepting that suffering is a part of his, the one who could walk on water, the one who could heal the sick, accepts that suffering is a part of his journey. There would be no salvation without him walking through suffering. Here's the question that you have to answer. Does your faith then accommodate suffering? Does your theology make room for suffering? Do you anticipate and expect that it's somewhere along the way you're going to walk in through a fire, you're going to walk through a fiery furnace, a moment of suffering? If you have a a three-legged chair of faith, that third leg, I'll trust God even when I don't understand. It's just another way of saying, I have a faith that anticipates and expects and that makes room for suffering. That's a mature biblical faith. Let me illustrate it. Here's what Paul says in Romans uh, 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 chapter 8 about suffering. Listen to what he says. Uh, uh, let's start at verse 17. Let's start at verse 17. Here's, here's what he says. And since we are his children, meaning God's children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, watch this point. We must also share 
in his suffering. And then the next verse, look at what he says. I get sad, I get excited when I say this. But I consider, when you're in your, in, your, in your moment of sickness, you want to be able to say this. I consider, come on, when the bottom is falling out of your finances, you want to be able to say this. I consider when that child has shattered your heart and you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed within us. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. Type it in the chat. Hallelujah. Suffering is a part of it. Paul would later on say, I want to know God and I want to know Jesus and the Christ and the power of his, of his, of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his suffering. And so we go back to the text uh, here in verse 39. What you do is you find Jesus uh, in, in, in verse 39. You'll find him. Uh, that's what he's doing. He's preparing to face the suffering that's in front of him. And you know how the story ends? He moves through that suffering. Isaiah says, as he hangs on the cross for you and me, that he's wounded for our transgressions, he's bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that should have been on us was laid upon him, and by his stripes we're here. You know how the story ends, right? He ultimately dies. You know how the story ends, right? With the ending comes a new beginning. Somebody says resurrection is the thing that happens after the worst thing can happen to you. And he got up on the third day with all power of heaven and earth in his hands, and he teaches us some insight about suffering. Look at Philippians uh, as what his the writing Philippians says, therefore now God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Notice this, the place of highest honor. How did he get to the place of highest honor? Here's an insight. Come on, young people, lean in. Between your dreams and ultimate success, you got to go through some suffering. Between being a novice, a beginner, and becoming an expert, place of highest uh, honor, You've got to go through some suffering, whether it's to be a basketball player, a lawyer, or an auto mechanic. Between, between, between standing at the altar and saying, I do, googly eye, to building a marriage that will withstand the winds of trouble, you've got to go through some suffering. Come on now, through. From, from earth to heaven, from working in a world where there is injustice to trying to create a world of more justice, you know what's in between? Suffering. You've got to go through some suffering. Are you willing? Do you have that kind of unshakable faith? Listen, what happens, he says, so the honor gave him a name that is above all other names. Listen, one more thing I want to make, and I want to wrap this whole thing up. If you go to 2 Timothy, here's what, here's what the writer says in 2 Timothy about this kind of understanding that suffering is a part of the journey. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with Jesus, then we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, somebody shout, a suffering season, then we will reign with him. But if we deny him or disown him, he will deny us. Come on. Here's another way of saying it. Paul and Jesus and all of the faithful ones, they have declared when we come to that point that suffering is unavoidable in our lives, in that moment, we don't want to shrink away from our witness and our faith in he who is our Lord. Come on now. So because at the end of the day, here it is, in my suffering seasons, I want to be usable and not disposable. Somebody type in the chat, usable and not disposable. Wow. I want to be usable, not disposable. 
Sometimes in our suffering, that's where the greatest light shines. God shines through our life. The greatest love pours out. If suffering is in the journey, God make me usable and not disposable. Oh, here's where it ends. Come on. We're going to bring it up here. Back, back to the Philippians. You see, that at the name of Jesus, here's the reality for Jesus now. That every knee, can somebody shout every knee? Every black knee, every white knee, every Asian knee. Now come on now, every knee, every Republican, every Democrat should bow in heaven. Those who are in eternity and those on earth, those who are living here and those who have died and gone into the place of the dead. And every tongue, shout every tongue, will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those of us who have declared it already, whatever awaits us, here's what we're declaring when we say he's Lord, that God in Jesus will have the last word. And so our trust, our palm tree trust, our unshakable trust is in a God whose character declares this, that he's good, that he's able, that he's for us. But one more final thing, it declares that God will have the last word word. That is what makes you and me unshakable. I'm just inspired at this moment. You know, the country may blow up. Come on. Family may abandon me. But at the end of the day, the words of the hymnist is in fact my creed. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. And it is because of Jesus that I can declare today, tomorrow, and everlastingly, I will not be greatly shaken. Amen. <laughs> oh, my, my gosh. Praise the Lord. Listen, there's a connection card popping up on your screen right now with some next steps beginning with an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. But also there's a chance if you want to join a small group, there's a place there for you to, to really check. I want to be a part of a small group. I need my them. And then I want to call your attention to the response to the message. At this moment, you can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. This moment, by simply checking yes to this, I will trust Jesus above all else. I want you to take out your camera also and take a picture. I want you to wrestle with this picture, right? This question. Does your faith make room, accommodate, anticipate, expect suffering? All right. Guess what? Whoever wins the election, this I know to be true. Jesus Christ remains on the throne. I'll see you next week. Hey, guys, here's the deal. Whatever tomorrow brings... We're going through this together. So I look forward to see you next week as I kick off a brand new series called Be Rich to Others as we learn how to serve through prayer and loving and giving. In addition to that, if you do not have a small group, I don't care where you are in the world, whether you've been with us for a few weeks or forever, I would encourage you to join one of our small groups and the instructions on the screens of how you can actually do that. And if you want to be notified whenever we go live on a Sunday, then I want to make sure that you click the bell icon uh, right now if you're watching on Facebook and make sure that you turn on notifications and be sure to select all.